What's up? You guys feeling good tonight? Wasn't worship amazing? Man, thank you, God. Well, today is my first day officially as Fusion Pastor. You guys are really awesome. I'm so honored, so excited to have this opportunity. Um, God is just blowing my mind right now. So many new things happening right now. One of those new things is I actually just got engaged. So that one, well, I think they have a picture in the back. Yeah, it's my beautiful lady. Her name is Gabrielle. She lives in Arizona, uh, but she will be, she'll be coming out here. So don't worry about it. You guys will get to know her. Um, shout out to, I, I never shout out my family. They come in support and I never say anything. Shout out, my brother is over here. His name's Evan. My sister Marie right here. Another one of my brothers right over here named Spencer. And Kendall, how you doing? There we go. Clap it up. Thank you so much. All right. So, a lot going on. New season. A lot of transition. But I figured since I'm now the pastor, a lot of people are probably wondering, where'd you come from? <laughs> Who are you? All those things. Um, so, I figured I'd tell a little bit of my story before I got into the focus of the message. Um, so, let me pray real quick. Just before we jump in, Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity, and I thank you for bringing everybody out here tonight safely. God, I thank you that you have something that you want to speak to all of our hearts, Lord. So just, I decrease and you increase, Lord, and let only your voice be heard. Lord, speak to the hearts tonight, God. Jesus, you said no man can come to you except that the Father would draw them to you. So, Father, I pray that you draw hearts tonight, God, hearts that might be far off, God, hearts that don't know you, God, um, hearts that are close to you, draw them even closer and just have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So where do I start? I'll just go through my whole life. <laughs> so um, I'm originally from Long Island, New York. There we go. A couple people in the building. Um, so I grew up there, and I lived there until I was 15 years old. And when I was 15, my mother and father, uh, they, they moved the whole family down to Atlanta because they felt this is where God was calling them uh, to relocate to. So initially, we were just going to move into a different house in New York, and God did a bunch of stuff in like a few weeks. <laughs> and we ended up in Georgia, and I've been here since. Uh, I think that it was one of the best decisions that my parents ever made. I'm so grateful for it, and I'm grateful to God because he's done so much since I've been here. So I grew up in the church. Both of my parents are Christians. They are wonderful examples of Christian people, of a Christian marriage. So I got the opportunity to see people walking in relationship with God, not just in church but outside of church, and actually set a great example for me. Um, but how many of you guys know that you have to experience things for yourself. Would you agree that in order to really know something, you have to experience it for yourself? So throughout my teenage years in high school, I would just be kind of back and forth. I was always like either all the way 100% in, like I'm about to follow Jesus till I die, or 
I was just like all the way on the other side. I've always been, I've always, it sounds kind of oxymoronic or whatever, ironic, whatever it is. Um, it sounds weird that uh, <laughs> I would have a reverence for God even when like sinning or doing my own thing. But I had just kind of this weird, like I still, I always believed in God even when I decided to do my own thing. And I think I was like overconfident in his grace and just uh, kind of felt like he was always covering me and I, was, and I had time. Like I, I could always get back and I had time even when I was just choosing to do my own thing. So in high school, I would just kind of go kind of back and forth. Um, and my senior year was when I really, I mean, I wasn't like partying and doing anything crazy, but when I was just focused on doing what I wanted to do. After that, I come into college and I was thinking about studying theology because I had gotten back on fire for God right before college. And I was like, you know what? I really want to follow Jesus again, be all the way in. And so I was like, let me study theology. But I didn't look up those things before I went to school. So I found out that my school did not offer a theology major. Things that you should check into before you end up at the school and enrolled. Wisdom. So I just ended up studying marketing. And in short, through, <laughs> yeah, I know. It was one of those things. It was like general business because I, I was just talking to my advisor and just trying to kind of go with the most general thing I could until I figured out what I wanted to do. And I never really figured that out while I was in college. So then I brought it down to marketing because it just sounded good. I thought that I was a fairly creative person. Um, so, yeah, studied marketing. But in college, I started doing I started really finding like my talent for writing. And so I started doing spoken word poetry um, and I would do that like all over my college campus. I would do it all over the city I went to school in. I would come up to Atlanta and do it all over Atlanta. Uh, and then I actually got into a music group with a friend of mine who sang and just wrote with him. And so that was the beginning of me pursuing a music career. So for like five years of my life, like the end of college and then after that, I 100% fully pursued a music career, and it actually was going pretty well. Um, I was getting to where I thought that I wanted to be, and for sake of time, I'll say I ended up getting involved in this deal, uh, and it went south. So after the deal went south, throughout my music pursuit, I was just halfway in, like I still always believed that there was a God. I, not that there was a God, I believed in Jesus, but I just kind of did the minimum. Like I didn't curse in my music, I kept it clean, but it, it wasn't anything that was glorifying God. But I just felt like I could kind of keep him at bay, if you will. Like, oh, my success will honor him. And that was really my thought. As I get successful and because I'm, I'm successful and I believe in Jesus, that's going to be a good reflection on him. And that was like legit my thought process, which makes no sense. But that's what I was thinking. So 2013, I signed this deal and I go to the dealership. I order this 2013 Corvette, um, had like a house being worked on, like all this stuff. And in short... The deal fell through. And then I would just was heartbroken. I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. Um, I didn't want to go back to doing music broke, like struggling. I had gotten to the point where I was like, yo, I've actually 
made it. This is what I've been trying to do. I can like help out my family. I can help out my friends. I was calling all my friends, seeing how I could involve them in it, how I could help them out. And I really thought, hey, God, this is a blessing from you. You've blessed all the work that I've been putting in for this music thing. And now you gave me this deal. That's not exactly what happened. So 2013, heartbroken, my sister actually invited me to victory. I hadn't been to church probably since I was in college. I tried to find a church in Columbus, Georgia, and none of them were necessarily my style that I found. So I just stopped going. And then I hadn't been in maybe seven years. I don't know, something crazy. 2013, came to Victory, heard a message. Uh, Johnson was actually speaking. Johnson Bowie, he's our pastor over at Hamilton Mill. And he did a message on the Lord's Prayer. And it just like woke me up inside where I heard teaching from the Bible that I was actually really interested in. uh, And it woke up this hunger inside of me. And after that, I just dove all the way in. I joined, I became a member. I was at the church as many days out of the week as I possibly could be. I was taking the classes that they offer. I took our leadership class, spiritual warfare class. I was at Fusion. I was doing everything that I could to be at the church as many days out of the week as possible. About seven months into that, I get invited to... Uh, work at a company in Birmingham, Alabama. And in short, I was being trained to take over the company. And this was kind of phase two of me pursuing success and thinking, oh God, you've blessed me. The music thing didn't work out, but this is working out. So this is what you want me to do. It's going to be super successful. It was already a successful company. It was kind of like set in stone. If I was taking it over, I would have been set. But as I was going through that process, that was about two years where I was walking with God and doing this job and seeing a conflict because there were certain aspects of the job where I had to be dishonest. And I started seeing a conflict in my everyday life of like, okay, I'm trying to pursue God. God, I feel like you brought me here, but I'm seeing a conflict. So in Long story short, I walked away from that in 2015 and didn't know what I was about to do. I just left Birmingham, moved back to Atlanta, and I had been getting my personal training certification just on the side for fun because I liked working out. People would ask me questions in the gym about workouts, and I was like, I'm the type of person I like to educate myself. I like to know what I'm talking about. So I'm like, all right, if I'm going to give people advice, I might as well be an expert. Why not? So (laughs) I decided to get certified as a personal trainer just on the side for fun, never planned on like working in a gym or doing it full time. But for the last three years, as soon as I moved back, God told me, I want you to pursue personal training. I was actually in fusion one night right in the back over there. And there was worship going on at the end of the night. And I, I asked God, I said, God, you see my situation so differently than I do. Give me your perspective on this situation. I know you have a 20 million feet view. Like, give me your perspective on my situation. And I really felt like he told me, pursue personal training. So for the past three years, I was pursuing personal training. A lot of ups and downs, a lot of struggles. Uh, But in that time, I started serving at the Capitol, our high school ministry here. Anybody from the Capitol in the building? I see you. So I started serving there. And God just started doing a lot, showing me what I was passionate about and got a few opportunities to preach. And God just started stirring something in me. 
And so I started on one hand, I started working on personal development where I was learning about business strategy and branding. And I thought, well, maybe God, maybe you want me to start a business. So I started vetting out that. But at the same time, on the other hand, I was developing myself spiritually, diving in the word, studying, uh, constantly listening to sermons. A lot of people binge watching Netflix. I'm like binge watching and binge studying sermons and all these things. Side note, I will say, if you want to pursue something, if you're passionate about something, if you have a vision for your life, filter your actions and your time through what's relevant to that. So a lot of times, man, thank you. You can clap. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of times our society tells us to entertain ourselves when God might be telling you to prepare yourself because he has opportunities for you and you're just wasting time because it's what we're told to do and it's so normal. Oh, just binge watch shows, watch movies, play video games, all these things to entertain yourself. But if it is not cultivating anything inside of you, I'm not saying you can't have fun or do any of those things, but watch how much time you're investing in it. So for me, I've spent this time investing in everything that I felt like God was calling me to invest in. One of those was leadership, uh, strategy, organizational strategy, and the other was just straight up the word. I love the word. I love learning the word, and I believe I have a gift for teaching the word, Um, and so I just started working on developing that, and now about three years into it after struggle after struggle, during that time is when I met my now fiance, and I'll tell you, six months before we started dating, I was doing really well financially, And then when we got together, like struggle season started. See, you feel me. Has anybody been there? Okay, I'm not alone. Okay, I love that, I'm not alone. Struggle season started, for real. And, but I remember in the beginning of our relationship, she would just say wild stuff like, you know, I appreciate that I'm here in this time of your life to support you through what you're going through. So if you're wanting to know a good indicator of who you might wanna be with, maybe somebody who says stuff like that when you're at the low points in your life and they still see value, they still see purpose, when, when you don't even wanna share certain things that are going on in your life, uh, just especially as a man, you wanna feel like I got things together. But if you don't, but you working on it, please do work on it. If you don't have it together, please work on it. Man, it's okay to not have things together, but I tell you, I was not letting days go by where I was accepting that or just chilling. I'm like, all right, God, you, I'm in this season right now, and I believe you have me here for a reason, so I'm going to do whatever I can to make this as productive as possible. And it ended up working out fairly well. So three years passed by. Um, Her and I have been together almost three years. It'll be three years in January. And this is the season that you now, thank you so much. (laughs) This is the season that you now see me in. It's the culmination of uh, two heartbreaking situations where I felt like God was bringing me to something really big and told me to go the other direction.
I learned things in both of those seasons that have brought me here, though. So I know that he's been walking with me, that he's been with me through every step of the journey. But in the midst of it, a lot of times, it didn't make any sense. And so fast forward to this year. January of this year was one of the toughest times in my entire life um, where I was just like fed up because I was constantly struggling to serve. So not just struggling, but I'm constantly giving my time. I'm constantly serving. I'm constantly putting his kingdom first. The Bible says, seek first his kingdom and all these other things will be added to you. In January, I'm like, God, nothing's being added. If anything, things are being subtracted. Every time I give, it just stays there and I don't get it back. So January happens. I had been up and down, back and forth with the personal training stuff uh, and really feeling like, God, this is kind of a dead end. I'm kind of tired of doing this. I know this isn't what you have for me in the long run. So what do you want me to do? What does he tell me? Focus back on personal training. All right. So for the, for the first half of the year, that's what I was focusing on. But God started introducing me to people, connecting me with different people who he wanted me to minister to, who were ministering to me. So many great things happened. And then, I mean, just to be real, this whole fusion pastor thing happened as a surprise to me. Um, it happened as a surprise because... I didn't expect to be offered this position, but when this position was offered to me, it made sense 100% with where God had been bringing me through, with what he had been developing in me, and it just clicked. So I've run through a brief version of my entire life for you guys um, that's brought us to here. So Victory World Church is the head that we're under as a young adult ministry. And at Victory, our mission is that we are becoming fully committed disciples of Jesus Christ. So I figured for my first message, I just wanted to talk about that. I wanted to talk about what that means to be a disciple because a lot of times we can hear these words and they go in one ear and out the other. Even as devoted Christians, even when we think we're committed, fully committed disciples, a lot of times we don't really know what that means. And so I wanted to speak to every one of you who feels like you are a disciple of Jesus and encourage you. And for those of you who might not be, I want to explain what that actually means so that you can make a clear decision on if that's something you you want to do or not. So in biblical times, Everybody had disciples if you were a teacher. So Greek philosophers had disciples. Uh, Rabbis who were Jewish teachers had disciples. A lot of people had disciples. All it meant is you have students who are following you. And that process could have looked a lot of different ways. But what it normally looked like in Jewish culture were there were two phases of school that young men went through. The first was you had to memorize the written law, or the Torah, the, fi- the first five books of the Bible. How many of you guys have an entire book of the Bible memorized? Yeah. So this was next level stuff. They had to memorize the first five books of the Bible, and that was phase one. 
Phase two was you had to memorize the rest of the Old Testament. So they memorized the entire Old Testament. And then when they did that, they would seek somebody as a rabbi. A rabbi meant a master or a teacher, somebody that they could learn from. And your rabbi was there to interpret the word of God for you. So a lot of them knew everything that the word of God said, but they didn't have understanding. How many of you know that you can read a scripture that doesn't mean that you have understanding? I think that's what a lot of us deal with. I was talking with uh, one of the guys on my team earlier, and he was telling me about somebody that he was speaking to who was saying that they were asking the question, what do you do when quoting scriptures over your life is not enough? Which is a real question. But what's really going on there is you're speaking words that are not doing anything in here. You're speaking words, but they're not landing anywhere. You don't have any revelation, and a revelation is just truth being revealed to you. It's not in your control. So, As a disciple, you would seek out somebody to interpret the word of God for you. And so if you had a rabbi, first you had to be accepted by that rabbi. You would go and pretty much put in applications and be like, hey, I memorized this, I memorized this, and I'm this type of person. And the rabbi would decide if you're good enough to be his disciple. Jesus broke up the norm. I don't know if you guys know exactly how Jesus chose his disciples, but it was kind of like this. You, come follow me. And that's kind of how he did it. And a lot of us read that and we think like, why would you go follow some random dude who just said, come follow you? But it was understood in the time, this is a rabbi telling you to come be my disciple, which was something that they wanted in their hearts. Because we all need a teacher. And a lot of times, we don't even realize that we're being taught, that we're seeking to learn things. But society, media, social media, all these things are constantly pouring in lessons to you, constantly trying to teach you things. Which brings us to our first point of the night. There are a lot of people trying to teach us. Jesus is the teacher we need to listen to. Simply put, I want to put it as simple as possible for you guys tonight. There are a lot of people trying to teach you. Your parents, out of good intentions, want to teach you. Your friends may want to teach you. They want to give you relationship advice. They want to give you advice on what to do for work. People want to give you advice on what your purpose, on what your calling is. Everybody wants to teach you something. But who are you listening to? Especially if you are somebody who's following Jesus, are you listening to him? As a disciple in those days, what it meant when you had a rabbi was you fully surrendered and submitted your thoughts, your perspective, all those things to the rabbi. You said, I'm going to learn from you. I'm going to take your perspective. So you tell me what this interpretation is or you tell me what to do with my life. I fully surrender that to you. So. Jesus comes, interrupts the norm, and he's a rabbi. He's walking around as a rabbi with disciples. And the difference between him and other rabbis 
was very simple. He was God. Simple. So everybody had something to say. A lot of rabbis had interpretations. They had perspectives. But Jesus came and gave the final answer. He gave the authoritative truth, the definitive truth. And why do you think he was doing miracles? To prove that he was God. He's raising people from the dead. He's turning water into wine. These are not myths. These are not fables. These are things that actually happened when God came in human form and walked among us to teach us, to lead us into truth. He performed miracles and did all these things just to show us that he was actually God. So, looking at the process of how Jesus was choosing disciples might make you question, well, what were the qualifications to be a disciple? And I want to show you Peter. Let's see. Oh, wow. Sorry that. So anyway, in short, Jesus is standing, teaching a bunch of people. Uh, Peter, James, and John are fishing as he's teaching. Uh, Actually, they were washing their nets as he was teaching. And after he's done teaching, he goes up to them and says, hey, go back out in the deep water, dip your nets, and try to fish again. Peter says, we've been actually fishing all night and we haven't caught anything, but because you said it, I'll do it. They go out there, they go into deep water, They dip the nets. The nets are overflowing with fish. Afterwards, it says, Peter fell fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. So what we can draw from this is Peter was not a perfect person. Peter was not a person who felt like he was qualified to do the work of God. He was not a person who felt gifted and called and, and all these things. As soon as he saw something that looked like God was moving, he just fell down and said, go away from me. Which is wild to me because I'm like, you, I would think you'd want to be drawn to God. But he felt so dirty. He felt so unworthy, so unqualified that he actually asked Jesus to just go away from him. As if he were going to do something, as if he were going to taint Jesus or something. Instead of going away from him, Jesus says... Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. So what does being a disciple of Jesus look like? We leave what we know to learn what he knows. Simple as that. You abandon your own perspective. You abandon your own thought processes. You abandon your own worldview. And you say, Jesus, you're God. You created everything here. I'm just going to submit to you and listen to what you have to say about what you created. It's very simple. So discipleship is complete abandonment of your own perspective and ideas and complete acceptance of Jesus' teachings. Jesus discipled, he chose 12 particular disciples to be closest to them, to him, and then walked with them for three years. After that three years, he told them, as he had been mentioning along the way, I'm going to leave. 
I'm going to be crucified, and then I'm going to resurrect, and then I'm going to go to be with the Father. The thought of their rabbi leaving them was stressful. Imagine you have somebody who you go to for everything. You rely on for everything. Any question you have in life, this is the person that you ask. This is the person who you get opinions on. Man, how do I treat my wife? How do I treat my husband? Uh, How do I deal with stress? How do I deal with depression? What does the word of God say about what I'm going through right now? And they would go to Jesus and ask him. And Jesus said, it's actually better for you guys that I'm leaving, which sounded completely crazy to them. How would it be better for you to leave when we rely on you for literally everything? It doesn't make sense. But he said, when I leave, you get the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will lead you and the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. He said in John 16, 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He gives a lot of teachings about the Holy Spirit to them and tells them he's gonna, that the Holy Spirit will remind them of what he taught them. He says a few things. And what he was saying to them is, you'll have a rabbi in here. You'll have somebody who you can consult with right in here. When I leave, I can't answer everybody's questions because I'm in human form. So there's 8 billion people on the planet now. If Jesus were in this room, he couldn't address every single concern and issue that each of you have in a conversation. So in his wisdom and in the Father's wisdom, he resurrected left so that the Holy Spirit can come and so that you would be clean enough to actually receive and have him dwelling inside of you. So Jesus came, paid the price for our sins, which Adam, in case you don't know, in the garden, Adam and Eve, they sin because we come through their bloodline. We are now under, when we're born, under the curse of their sin which has separated us from God. We cannot come into his presence with sin, with any darkness. It says in the beginning, God created the light, saw that the light was good, and separated the light from the darkness. And that's a consistent theme throughout scripture where light and dark are very separate. So what God did was he came down, he paid the price that we needed to have our sins forgiven by him, did it all for us, and said, if you'll accept it, You can have righteousness, right standing with me. You can come into my presence. So discipleship, now, in this day and time, today, is us accepting what Jesus did for us on the cross, accepting the fact that he actually resurrected from the dead, which was witnessed by over 500 personal witnesses. You can look it up. This is not some myth that people are spreading. This is not a derived from some old story. This is facts that people actually saw Jesus resurrected. After resurrecting, went into heaven, the Holy Spirit came down, 
and now is available to each and every person who wants him. And now you have a rabbi. Now you have somebody to consult with, with any issues that you might be going through. If I can get the keys out, that would be great. Thank you. Um, So tonight is simple. I explained what it means to be a disciple, what it really looks like to follow Jesus. It's full surrender, full submission, saying, Jesus, I accept and receive what you've done for me. I believe that you are God. I believe that you came to earth. I believe that you died a gruesome, horrific death. If you guys want to know what Jesus went through, please look up crucifixion, and I will talk about it at some point. But Jesus could have come at any point in human history, and he came at the point in human history when they were crucifying people. He could have come now when ISIS is chopping people's heads off and people are being shot. No, he came during the Roman Empire when they were doing the most painful, horrific death possible. Crucifixion. First, they flogged him, which means they beat him with a cat of nine tails that had spikes on it that ripped out his flesh and lashed him 39 times. And he should have been dead from that. That was actually an execution that should have taken place, and he just didn't die from it. Then they made him put the cross on his back that had flesh and blood hanging off from it, and they put this heavy cross on his back, and then they make him walk. I don't know if it's a mile, miles. Eric, you probably know. (laughs) I don't know how long the journey was, but they make him walk with this cross the whole time for no crimes being committed. He could have said, I'm innocent, He could have said, I'm not God. All he had to do was say, you know what? I'm not God. And they would have just let him off. That's what they were crucifying him for because he said that he was God. And he said, you know what? No, I am. And I'm going to go through with this. So after being, your body's in shock at this point, after being flogged like that, it's horrific. He walks and makes it all the way to Calvary. They put the cross on the ground, he lays on it, and they drive nails. A lot of times we hear that they drove nails into his hands. That's not true. They drove nails into his wrists, into nerve endings that shot. I mean, this was scientific and precise. They drove it through the nerves that would cause shooting pains up your body, and they drive nails. And each time you're feeling a terrible shot go through your body. After your body is already in shock from being flogged, And they go through both of his wrists, and then they put his feet like this, bent, drive the nails through nerves in his foot so that he feels those sharp pains. And so he's on the cross like this, knees bent. As soon as they drop that cross into the hole, they lift it up, they drop it into a hole, and his elbows, wrists, and shoulders dislocate from that drop. And now his wingspan is nine feet because everything's dislocated. His feet are like this. His wingspan is nine feet. In order to breathe, at this point, this is what's so terrible about crucifixion because the human instinct is to survive. 
So you're literally suffocating because of the way that your body is. And you don't want to, you ha- he had to lift up. And so those nails that are in his feet, they're going through nerves. In order to inhale, he has to lift up like this, which causes excruciating pain just to inhale. Then to exhale, he has to go back down. And nerves are going crazy everywhere. And he does that for six hours. As he's bleeding to death, as he's beat so badly that he can't even be recognized. And during that time, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This is not a myth. This happened. What it means to be a disciple of Jesus is to say, I actually appreciate you doing that for me. If there were another option, I'm sure you wouldn't have done that. If there were many ways to heaven, if there were many ways to the Father, you probably would not have volunteered to be crucified. But he did it. They put him in a grave after he died. And then he came back. That's God. So that's the God. When we say there's nobody like you, God, that's the God we're worshiping. There'll never be anyone like you. That's the God we're worshiping. One who would come down into human form from being God. He could have just wiped us all out and started clean. But instead, because he loved each and every one of you, he decided to go through that for us. When he was talking to his disciples in Luke, he said, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Then listen to what he says. After telling you the most terrifying news of your life. (laughs) Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? They're cheap, is what he's saying. Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. What he's saying is, man, God even notices and cares about the birds that are flying around that nobody cares about. After saying fear, don't fear man. Don't be worried about what man thinks. Don't be worried about what people think about you. The worst they can do to you is kill your body. And God is saying, God could kill you and has authority to throw you into hell. But then he tells them how much God cares about them and says, don't be afraid because you're valuable to God. So go ahead, clap it up. God is not a tyrant. He's a loving, merciful God who is also about justice. So it says that we will be held accountable for our decisions that we will have to give an account to him for what we did with our life, 
the life that he died for, the life that he paid the price for so that we could live eternally because there's just more than this. I mean, look around you. None of this makes sense. We're spinning around in the middle of the sky. It does not make sense. So if you think the gospel doesn't make sense, welcome to the world. It's all crazy, but this is the truth. And Jesus came to prove that he was the truth.